Waitressing was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. And I always say, Allah lay adir, Allah lay adir. If everything is taken away from me, I will be the best waitress anybody can ever have. Hate <laughs> Allah. Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesha Montasser. If you're joining us for the first time today, don't forget to hit the follow button in your podcast player to get alerted when we have a new episode. If you're using Apple Podcasts, for example, it's the plus sign in the top right corner. You can also listen to our extensive catalog of previous episodes on our website at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. We had some amazing guests over the years, including the co-founder of The Code, Ayman Fa'usa, publisher Yasmin Jirasati, co-founder of Airmex, Fadi Gandur, former director of Design Day, Cyril Zamet, and so on and so forth. So please go check out some episodes and give us some feedback, or better, share them with your friends and family. I'm joined today by Mariana Wahba. She's the founder of the highly successful PR firm, Mariana Wahba Public Relations. But honestly, that barely touches the surface of who she really is. We spoke about so many things, including her journey growing up as an Arab in the US, specifically in Florida, where she thought she was a Latina, moving back to Lebanon, and now living in Abu Dhabi, and her decision to quit her secure corporate lifestyle to start her own firm, the impact of the 2020 Beirut explosion on her and her family, and so many other things. I found Mariana to be engaging, and I found the conversation very gripping. Status quo doesn't really mean much to her. She's a fighter, she's a hustler, she is multi-talented, she really is so many things. And some of this came out in this episode. So I think you'll find it very, very interesting to listen to. And I think, like me, you'll wind up learning a few things from Mariana. Mariana, welcome. I am so excited to have you here. I am so honored Lab, to be honestly, sitting with you. Honestly, as I mentioned earlier, I have been eyeing you as my <laughs> guest for some time now, ever since I met you actually in this exact room, some time ago, maybe two years ago. That's true. And I had heard about you, and then Nahla and some other friends mentioned you, and I was like, I need to get to know her better. I think she's going to have a fascinating story. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And I've been eyeing you, as I said, <laughs> to be my friend. Thank you. To be my friend. That's, that's, that's very flattering, and I'd be honored to be your friend. Habibi. I want to start somewhere that may be a little bit painful for you, but if you indulge me for a minute and we go from there, I want to start with the blast in Beirut. Yes. Because it was a pivotal point, obviously for the region, for Lebanon, but also for you personally. So can we dive a bit deeper and talk a bit what happened for you that day? Um, that day was... Um I was coming down from Batroun. I was living up there for a while with friends during COVID. It was really one of the most beautiful days with the clearest blue skies. And I said, you know what? Let me go to the office. My office is in downtown. It's at the end of Foch Street, which is about a couple of minutes from, from the silos and the port. And I had called the driver and I said to him, you know what? Sherbil, uh, let's not take my car. I have one meeting. I will go down to the office. I'll go in the moto, khayal, when things are bound to happen. Because subhanallah, hanhar, there's something bigger for every Lebanese that survived it. Why would I go in a moto? I had a dress on. And I said, 
let's go. I was in my office and I had a client and, and Marwa who was working with me. And um, I'm a very nervous mother. Everybody knows that. My daughter has to call me whenever she arrives, whenever she gets dropped off. And say, I bet she was getting to her friend's house. Yes, mom, did you arrive? Yes, okay. And we heard something. I, for some reason, got up from my chair. I was on the, the phone with Sophie. I got up and three seconds later, the blast took place. Everything was gone. Two people in our office passed away, Allah yirhamhun. And um, I ran to my ex-husband's house because I know he has a baby and his wife was at the office. We all share a beautiful office of his. Um, I knew my daughter was okay. And I ran all the streets of Beirut from Fosh through all of Jemaizi to get to his house to where the nanny was passing away. And she passed away, Allah yirhamah. Make sure the baby is okay. Then ran to my house to get Sophie. You know, we were walking around people that were passing away on Batizid because there was nothing we could do. Nothing. You know, they tell you, I had friends who were hugging me. And I would say, I'm so sorry. I have to go to Sophie. I'm so... We knew that this was, you Sismic. know, this was beyond this was a, a pocket i thought the whole city was dead but you know you live through it we understood that we had to get our daughter out of the city uh, a lot of the families had to do that because our homes were gone our offices were gone our money was gone our fr you know, it was the first thing is let's get our kids out yeah so Come you on. left i didn't leave mm. My ex-husband said, let's get Sophie out. We had to get Sophie out. And, you know, Sophie had said to me, you taught me something, mom. Life is a dance. I always tell her, when you dance, you always, you have to come close and you have to go back. So everything in life is a give and take. And she says, all I see Lebanon do is take from you. And you cry. I want out. Four days later, my ex-husband said, you know, my sister is in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Sophie and uh, May. And I said, of course. So we sent Sophie here. She was 15, put her in school, and I stayed in Lebanon. I couldn't leave, and I wanted to do something for the city. You could not have been part of what happened and not do something. It is impossible, you know. Uh, my best friend and I, uh, she came over, she was, her house was devastated as well. Um, and she said, we have to do something. I said, we have to do something. We work in design. We know everybody. Yeah. And I love how, when you thought about doing something, it was literally doing, Yani, this was not slogans or words of encouragement. Babu Shebek. It's no, no. quite literally that. It was quite literally that. That's what that. people need. Actually, we were standing in my living room where we didn't have Babu Shebek or anything. And, and she said, we have to do something. And I said, I know. But there were big NGOs, don't forget. And we are four days later or five days later. Rasna mamana, yani. Anyways, we're sleeping at home. We don't even have windows in our bedrooms. This is how we were still figuring out what we needed to do. Saraha, yani. okay. And the sound of glass will never leave me for days. So, so there was this period right after, and there was obviously Babu Shebek and a lot of initiatives to help support the community. Right. Now some time has passed. Yes. How were you able to process this differently now than the immediate shock 
which I'm sure was traumatic. I had to process it here in the UAE when I moved a year later to be with my daughter. I did not process it. What Until we, you left. Yeah, what we did is we jumped in. Yeah. And we needed to jump in to do something, That's to good. feel that we are helping out and that we are, we are doing something. There was no time to process yeah. for anyone. Only when you leave and when there, Some there's another environment around you and another world and you're like, what did I just live? What was that? I still remember, sorry, the smell of blood. You process it, not in the moment. And, and I, you have to know the amount of people that are doing therapy in Lebanon until today and the amount of PTSD that we have and that we live with. So a year later, I wanted to send my daughter to boarding school. And she said, please, mama, no, I need to be with you. And that's when you moved. I moved to the UAE. To be with her to be here in the UAE, which was not by choice. It was, nobody wants to leave home. Akin. Nobody wants to leave home by choice. And, and home, Lebanon, is a personal story for me. Yes, I was you going know, to get I to that. I come from deep abandonment, very, very deep abandonment. So it wasn't just a fight, la beledi. It was a fight, la ili, la bayti, la ardi, li ana amilta. I made my own life there. So it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to be in the UAE. I never wanted to be in the UAE because I was yeah, grasping on Yeah, you wanted to hold to close what to what you have because you grew up in um, Florida. You yes. spent your first 16 years in Florida, in mm -hmm. fact, uh, not in, in Lebanon. So Lebanon was mission, new home. It's always been your home, but you're holding on to this new home feeling that you've created. Yes. So, and worked so hard to create, am yes, I right? Yes, Now you have to reimagine re it once more. Yes, I mean, I was sent back when I was 17, before I turned 18, before I was a legal adult in America, as a coup d'etat by the family, uh, because this is what they know. No, we don't have, you know, girls living alone in university. I wanted to study archeology span and Egyptology, and I didn't know my mother. And they sent me back saying, you need to meet your mom and uh, she's sick and you'll be back in two weeks. Only, you know, little did I know that I would not be able to go back because I lived in America for 16 years on a three months visa. I was an illegal immigrant. Well, my mom was living in a very humble area and, and she thought she was getting a baby. She got a 17-year-old, Americanized young woman. And for those 17 years, you were not in touch with her? She was in touch, but... But it wasn't part of your life. It wasn't part of my life. And Matinsa, there were phone calls. There, weren't, there wasn't... Sa it was Sa the central. So when she would call me, it was three in the morning. Hello, thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And even when when I arrived in '96 to Beirut, it was the central yeah. that I would call back and be like, "I want to go home." There was no going home. This deep sense of identity that you literally exude, uh, specifically a very Arab identity, which you're very proud of, as you should. Thank you. How did you make that happen for? A girl that grew up in Florida. I mean, I'm sorry to ask, but it's very, very unusual. We grew up in a very Lebanese household, very okay. southern Lebanese. We're from the south. We're from Nabatiye. It's one of the biggest cities in the south. We grew up by a very strong a key. Lebanese grandmother who had 12 kids and raised her grandkids. And she made 
the decisions. And when you say we, who was in the house? My uncle, my uncle's kids, my aunt. I had four uncles. It's amazing. And my aunt. So you grew up in this kind of big, big, big. house of lots of people competing lots for attention, food, for interest. Everybody, all of that. yeah. And a very humble, humble home, working yeah. class. We all worked. A lot of screaming and yelling. A kid. Never about money. Yeah. Uh, hardworking, a lot of music at home, tarab. My grandmother would always play tarab, and I hated it. Then, and now not I now. love it. And I could understand it. I could understand the words. We were not allowed to speak She used to say, "Tarbush bacon when I'm alla." In English, It was a strict household, and it was very, very family oriented. But I was never proud to be an Arab. I was a very Spanish girl. My name is Mariana. I dated Puerto Ricans and Cubanos, and my friends were from Dominican Republic, and I wanted to identify as a Spanish. Mm-hmm. I did not want to identify as an Arab mm-hmm. because I was a minority. Sa. And that's how you are there. Me for me. And you want to be, You want to float. You, you want to float. You, you, you don't want to stand out. Yes. And then what happened? Because you've shifted like 180 degrees. They sent me back to Lebanon. And I started to understand how much culture I missed out on, language that I missed out on, reading and writing. And, you know, I couldn't go to school because it was private. I couldn't afford it. I worked for DHL for 16 years. I got a job there by accident when I was jogging once. It reminded me of home. They hired me because of my accent. I ended up representing... DHL where? In Beirut? Yes, okay. 16 years. And then I ended up representing the American embassy for DHL. Let's show for... Everything comes, subhanAllah, I believe in that. And I believe in his protection and how I could have never been in America again. I ended up representing the American embassy for DHL. And I started to understand my language and who I am and what we are. And I I wanted to do archeology span and Egyptology. Egypt was very dear to my heart. And I started to ask my mom to teach me what the words mean, like Zay al Hawa. You know, but when they speak, so she would like sing the sentence and then we would stop it and she would explain it to me. That's amazing. And I used to, and I fell in love. Um, and then I understood in Ohaibelady, but at the same time, Lebanon gave me a lot. You have to know, like, like Egypt, you guys are a village. So you know, who's your mom and who's your dad and where you're raised. And nobody knew who I was. Yeah. I didn't know my family. You didn't have any of the contacts. I didn't have any it's of the contacts. It's a very, very uh, socially stratified society exactly. with a lot of social uh, class consciousness. Exactly. So you've done a double whammy. First, you went to Florida, where you would stand out by definition. And then you come back to Beirut, where you stand out maybe even more. Yeah. Because now you're an American girl coming, trying to be Lebanese, essentially. Yeah. And, um, and I remember when I used to hug people, they'd be like, what? Yeah. And I'm like... But we hug. Hi, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did you make that? that... I, I don't know. I think it gave me a freedom. To be yourself. To be myself without anybody saying, ah, Heidi bint Haida, or Heidi Mean, or Heidi Haik, or There's no context, therefore you so, make up the context. N- nobody knew. They just saw this American girl that was very bubbly. My personality helped. I worked at DHL. I waitressed at night. I worked really, really hard. I know what it is not to have enough money to ride in a cab during Ramadan. And uh, I'm not 
you know, uh, I don't pity myself and I don't feel sorry. It is part of my journey. But I'm also not a hypocrite that I wanted a good life. I grew up in Boca. So my eyesight and my my eyes were 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 in tune to beautiful homes and mansions. I was very aware of my surroundings. I wanted a good life. Mm. And I worked for it. And when I left DHL, I ended up in PR by accident. And and the fact that nobody knew who I was really helped me because I wasn't part of any circle. Yes. I'm still not part of any circle. Yes. I am all over the place. Float. I float. Um, and nobody knew if I was Christian or Muslim because Mariana Wehbi. Can, can go both ways. Wehbi is everywhere. It could go both <laughs> ways. It really helped. Um, I got married to a wonderful man that was extremely, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a lawyer. He used to read a lot. I wanted to be like him. And I used to read tremendously. It was my education. And I want to have an impact. But this comes from where? From being raised in America. Yeah. America gives you that. I think that possibility and that hope, yes, is very American in many yes. ways. Now, I'm fascinated by the fact that for someone that came from a humble upbringings to go finally find a job that's stable, that's corporate, that has benefits, and you stayed for a very long time. Yes. How on earth did you have the cojones, we go back <laughs> to your Spanish days, si. to transition to starting your own thing, regardless what it was? It's a really good question. I was working for DHL for 16 years, and I, was, I ended up running their biggest sales channel. Okay. And I knew at some point I just I hated going to the office mm. and I was making a lot of money. Mm. That's what I'm saying. And you had and I hated it. Yeah. I just... And you're in a city that's not necessarily stable politically. So having a good job with a big American company is great. Yeah. I wanted to get divorced and I wanted to leave my job and I was sick of everything. And one day I was driving to the office and I called one of my good friends, Sarah Baidun of Sarah's Bags. Okay. And yeah. I said, Sarah, I'm resigning. And she said, what do you do? What, what? I said, I'm done. And I resigned and they, they deflected it twice. And I said, John, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm out. When we come back, I talk to Mariana about combating her fear of failure. That's right after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with my guest, Mariana Wahba. For someone that came from a humble upbringings, how on earth did you have the cojones, we go back to your <laughs> Spanish days, si. to transition to starting your own thing, regardless what it was? I mean, people that are comfortable don't dare do this, let alone you finally earned that stability that you craved, right? Yeah, I wanted to get divorced and I wanted to leave my job. Did you think about it or you just did it? I didn't think about it too much. I think I Are am we talking now about the job or the marriage? Because the de well, no, the marriage <laughs> took time. Okay. But I also knew I wanted out, even though he is a wonderful man and we are on very good terms. I wanted out. I was really young. I was 23. Okay. You know, and 17 when I started DHL. I was growing into who I wanted to be. And in order to do that, I think a new chapter had to come in. I didn't think about it. I was done with everything. So you left the job without having... That's nothing. Nothing. I, I took my, alhamdulillah, I took my uh, reimbursement from the Daman, even though they said keep it. I'm like, no, thank God. And I said, look, you know, Mariana, you have six months to figure this out. 
I had an apartment, I had gotten divorced, and it didn't take six months. I was having lunch with one of my also best friends, Nadine Labake, who I say proudly. She was part of this Amazing. journey. And she said, what are you doing? I said, yeah, I left. And she goes, no, no, you need to come with me tonight. My, my um, sister-in-law works in jewelry. I want you to meet her. And I knew nothing about jewelry, um, but I knew a lot about sales. Yeah. It started very, very slowly. No education about it, which helped me have the freedom. Yeah. I wasn't following any books. Yeah. There was no textbook to follow. There was no textbook to follow. I followed what I loved, and I had sworn that I would not be a slave to anybody with money, that I would take on people that I truly believed in because Bibayan, Bibayan Ashakli. If I am proud but of you. Why would they take you on? I mean, here mm. comes this woman who has no prior background in PR saying, I'm going to represent you. Okay. It wasn't like that. It was like, what can you do? And I'm like, oh, do you guys have a website? And they were like, mm. no. I'm like, oh, you need a website. Uh, you went organic. Yeah. You need a business card. People, the world needs to know about you. And she was like, what do you mean? I'm like, the world needs to know about you. Look at this beautiful jewelry. And I knew people in the corporate world mm. because I knew very interesting people in the corporate world. Um, and it did start organically. But one of the things that I had asked her at the time is that if I have a magic wand, what would you want to do? And she said to work with Zahadi, to do a collaboration. Don't forget, I come from DHL. What do we do all day? Cold calls. We call people. Hi, I know that you're shipping stuff with Aramex and I'd love to give you a better rate. And people say, no, thank you and hang up. I get a hundred of them a day. I was never afraid of rejection. Yeah, yeah. So I said, why don't we email her? And she goes, what are you crazy? I'm like, I'm sure she knows you. She goes, yes, she knows the family. I said, what's the worst case? She's going to say no. So we ended up doing a collaboration because of that. And that's when people were like, oh. She's a go-getter. Who is this girl? Yeah. What is she doing? What I find so interesting about your approach to PR is that you seem to assess your clients and the feasibility of their business. I think you kind of understand viscerally that if they grow, you'll grow with them. Yes. But if they don't have a viable business model, which many don't sometimes, and yes. sometimes you have big brands, and you look at it, and you're like, this thing is going to be toast in a couple of years. You clearly steer, steer clear Absolutely. from this. So you're almost sort of like a life coach slash business coach slash PR. Psychologist. Yeah, taban. Shrink as well. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm very close to my clients. It's like I own their business without having ownership, and that's how I like to represent them. This is my baby too. Yeah. And if I cannot be an added value to you or I don't have the knowledge or the experience, I would rather steer off than to also hinder my name. Sa. Because, you know, people like you when you're great or when you do well. 100%. And the minute you do something wrong, you're... They turn against you. I cannot afford that. I am still working. I am still hustling. I am still building my life, you know, and I still need something to lean back on. So I still have a fear. <laughs> I still have Is that what's driving this? Always. Yeah. I have to remind myself sometimes of what I achieved, but always there is a fear. Always. That I might be on the streets again. Do you worry <laughs> that if you extinguish this fear, that you wouldn't have this hustle and drive? No, I think the hustle and drive will always be there. I would like to extinguish it because I've been through so much that mm. it's like, come on. You want to hear that? No, look, you can get through this, but it's, it comes with a lot of work, you know? There's 
we continuously do work on ourselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I have to say, like one one of the women that changed my life is uh, the gallery Gabrielle and Guillaume, the collectible design gallery. She saw me do charity auctions on stage, which is something that I did and I love to do for free. I always wanted to be on stage. <laughs> so I found a way yeah, to get on stage, which amazing. is which amazing. is corporate social responsibility. And I'm a good salesperson, so I'm able to play people. And, and it's good causes. And it's always great causes. So this lady saw me once and said to her husband, I want to work with this woman. A year later calls me, says, I want to work with you, invites me to her multi-million dollar 27th floor apartment, sits on her sofa and says, I want you to do my PR for my gallery, a collectible design gallery. Mind you, design, collectible design, I wasn't exposed yeah, to it. Yeah. You know, my dining room table is a $700 Vanillania. To me, was like, yeah, the thing. Khalas, it was arrived. like a and I still own very proudly. <laughs> and she said, I want to work with you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And why did she want to work with you? She saw something, something in, in me on stage. Yeah. I had 85 people on my database, 85. She said, I want you to do my PR. I said, no, I'm not the right person for you. I don't know anything about design. She said, send me an offer. I said, no. Three times, she said, send me an offer. And one day, somebody said, send her an offer that she's just going to say no to yeah. Mariana. Some crazy number, yeah, which yeah. I did. And she said, okay. It was the only email I received. I represented her for six years. And one of the reasons I sit here today is because of this woman. She actually came in. I said, I, how am I going to do your PR? She said, sit down, open your laptop, write these names down, and I'm going to leave and come back tomorrow, and we're going to do this for a month. Let's go. Gabriella Crespi, Felix Agostini, Claude Lalin, Lynn Vautrin, Jean Royer, and... You're going to read about them. And when I come back tomorrow, we'll talk about them. People like her have come into my life yeah. over and over and over again. And that's why I tell you, you know, Allah Hamini, because they changed the course of my life. And she introduced me to the world of design. And she educated me. And you never looked back. And I never looked back. And it's one of the biggest things that I do now because a woman said I'm working with her. And you are about to you're about to launch a design fair, effectively, right? In Beirut, in inshallah, Beirut, in we March. were we are postponing it to March. Yes, yeah. I mean, really, that's quite something. I have yeah. to say, to put it mildly, um, I mean, are you not? Do you not worry? Do you not worry about people are going to say they're going to say she doesn't come from this world? Oh, this they've is, already said it. Yeah, Mabaul. This oh, does not, especially in a place like Beirut, which. You know, design has a history there. They've already said it. Does it affect you? Uh, it, it it affects me. I'm 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 human. Actually, I'm a woman. I'm very sensitive. Oh. I work with my sensitivities, of course, but I have learned to cultivate a very very powerful friendships that are lelmot. So that shields you from that this. I that I lean on. But yes, when I started, a lot of people said, "And no." And me and Mariana, we yeah. will have design week. First of all, design weeks are done by business people. Sa. Let's start with that, not Sa. creatives. You know, second of all, me and Anna, but why didn't you get up and do it? Me for me. Why haven't you gotten up and th said, we need something in Beirut? 
And now two young girls at design came to my office and said, we really need a design week. We miss it. Mariana, why don't you do one? I said, I'm going to make nothing from this. I live in the UAE now. And they said, please. And I said, you know, let's do it. I spoke to the girls in my office and I said, do you want to do a design week? They said, yes. I said, let's do it. What are we going to call it? We, we, I said, let's call it we, we the people, we the ones who keep coming back. We are the ones rebuilding because it is always about the we. And yes, we got backlash. We even got backlash from designers saying, why should we pay a participation fee? And it took time for people to see the drive behind this. So yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I get hurt. Yes, not everybody wants you to be successful. And yes, people come up and say, but you know what? They didn't do it. I get up every day and I say, this is noise. Mariana, this is noise. It's noise. It's noise. The good and the bad. Yeah. Huh? The good and the bad. The yeah. good, I say, khayrak, ya Allah, and I say, thank you. And if I've inspired you and moved you and, and you felt something through me, khayr Allah. And if I haven't, it is noise. It is noise. Keep, keep going. Because those who matter are the ones around me. If those who have impacted my life came and said to me, Mariana, I will stop in my track. But that's part of the fight. And I'm a fighter. <laughs> I think status quo doesn't mean anything to you. Mm -mm. I don't think you've ever been part of the status quo and therefore mm -mm. for you to throw out an existing order and move to something else is nothing because I think you've never been part of an order necessarily. No. It comes very naturally to you. I mean, it's honestly fascinating because most people are part of, you know, a pretty fixed, especially in cities like Beirut and Cairo and that have long histories, right? Fee order socially, fee hierarchy, fee system IN, who talks, who does what? People don't go out of their lane. No. And you're kind of just meandering all over the highway. With a lot of love. But also... Well, I'm saying this with love and admiration. Yes, but with, I do it with a lot of love. I think your energy and your love transcends that. I'm somebody that loves life. I like to dance and I like to hug and I like to sing. I will stand in your face and tell you, hey, what what is your problem? Like, you know, and, and I've learned and not everybody is going to like me. Mm. I've learned that. I've accepted that. The other thing is, you know, waitressing was one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. And I think it teaches Why? you it teaches you so much. It teaches you to deal with the generous. It teaches you to deal with the stingy. It teaches you to deal with somebody that doesn't even look up at you when he is ordering, that doesn't even see you. No, you're not seen. And you are not seen. And I know what it's like to have someone not look at me and also look at me. Um, and I always say, if everything is taken away from me, I will be the best waitress anybody can ever have. Hate <laughs> Allah. But see, this keeps coming back. So you, there's this fallback. Yeah, you're joking, but you're not. Fabazi, yeah. you know, I think there's still that preoccupation with sort of, you know, what if this all goes yeah, away? My daughter is safe. Katar khair, Allah for life. I have an amazing ex-husband. And I know no one will ever leave me. And I know I'm not going to be there. But if I am, mm. you will see me here and I will run the show for you. And oh, I will do it proudly. And I hold them with 
this and I know how to put it down. And, and it teaches you also the emotional contact when somebody, you have to be emotionally intelligent. That wants to have a conversation and the client that doesn't. And the client that wants you to remember his name and the client that wants to be discreet. It teaches you so much. And I learned that from waitressing uh, and that helped me maneuver my, my way. You have built a, a, an extraordinary network across the Arab world, not just in Lebanon, not just in the UAE, in a lot of places. Um, you clearly don't shy away from venturing, you know, into different fields. Would you consider that being the biggest asset in terms of building your business, a PR business specifically? Or what is driving this growth and confidence that you have? Um, education. About your clients? Or uh, about everything. everything, I want to be constantly uh, educating, educating myself. I've never learned, you know. I've never had the privilege to talk about art. Now I'm educating myself about it. Um, I just acquired the biggest sculpture for a Lebanese artist for the UAE that has just been installed in Jubail Island in the city I was born in Abu Dhabi. Wow, amazing. And I knew nothing about art. And really it came naturally where I told these guys, we need to cultivate art in your community. It brings peace. It also brings a value to your it community. Energy. It brings value to your city. And the city cannot just be cultivating art through uh, 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 the, the governmental sector. It has to trickle down. And this didn't come from knowledge. This came from looking at Beirut. No, and I went to art. I see it everywhere. I went in Egypt or, you know, these cities that are older because yeah. this is a young city. Um, so for me, it's education. And I believe everything leads to something. If I have the, 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 the hunger to still learn, وجرب, and to be an added value, I will venture into it. And I believe what I'm doing now in Abu Dhabi is a little different from my PR. How you know? so? Uh, I mean, I'm working with developers, uh, one of them proudly, Jubail, to integrate their arts community like we did last year with the design in their villas. This year we're integrating their public art program. I'm not a curator and I'm not that, but uh, no, it came my way and I'm like, yes, we need to have sculptures. But that's my point. I don't think you, you look at it as curator. You don't look at these boxes. Everything will lead yeah. to something. It's this dance like you talked about earlier. It, yes. So if you take some and you give some and, and that's sort of how you... I'm a facilitator. Yeah. Because when you hustle, I love the word hustle. It makes me feel so cool. You know, like when you hustle, because I was very ghetto. My daughter makes fun of me. Like I was very ghetto when I was young. And, you know, it. and I she's like, I can't believe. Yes, yeah, I can't yeah. believe how preppy you are, mama. But like, so you know, when you hustle, you have to very quickly put things together. Okay. This person with that, this yeah. with that. You have to for your, for your, um, for your survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that for so long that I have been able to do it for in business now. It is no longer hustle. It is I look at you and I'm like, oh my God, you need to meet. I need to introduce yeah. you to Abdullah because yeah. he does this and, and you need to meet her. And I think, oh yes. And this is how my brain works. Yeah. Um, and this can be integrated here. So it's part of just like all these things always happening in my head. Which is... Really, the added value to your client. I'm a facilitator. I mean, ultimately, that's what they're really looking for. Yeah. yeah and it's just so interesting how you've sort of taken PR to a completely different level in the sense of you decompose it in this essence. Well, what is PR at the end? These people 
through meeting other people, like-minded people, get to connect. higher levels and in whatever it is that they are selling or doing or working on, et cetera, et cetera. But I think because you didn't come in from a studied approach, it, it's visceral. It wasn't boxed. I think when I started 10 boxed. years ago, PR was changing into that. It was changing from the standards of how you do things. You know, even now when we did redesign Beirut, I swear to God, Wallah al-Azim, I had no idea it, it grew much bigger. And it's at amazing. some point I was like, what did I kept saying? What did I get myself into? What? And we had, you know, my team is four. We were 17, wow. 17, two guys and the rest girls and also young men and women. And you, when you're doing something this monumental and this consequential and important to you, unimportant to the city, is there a moment where you sit and you say, um, what if I can't pull this off? Yes. So you do. You yes, have yes, that. Yes. Okay, you're yes, human. And I, yes. I wanted to double check. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yes, and I go to everybody that I know that I'm close to and I say, I, okay. what if we cannot, I'm not going to be able to do this. Okay. Like, so no, you no, do no. have moments of that. Yeah, and they taught me like, okay, what do you need? You know, we have a committee. We, Nada Dibis is one of our committee members. Yeah. And, you know, I've, you know, I've cried Amazing to many person. of them. What am I going to do? And it was like, don't worry. It's not all on you. This is for the city. What yeah. you guys have instigated, Samer, my partner and I, you've instigated something for the city and we have your back. You know, when we postponed, I received an email from all of the press. I had someone crying. The editor-in-chief of the zine, Max Fraser. I will say that because he's an old dear friend of mine. He said, Mariana, this is a love project. Yeah. And you have our unequivocal support and we are coming. This isn't about Mariana and Samir. Yes, we are in the, in the highlight of it. This is about my city. This is about the biggest event that was going to happen to give us hope to say we are still alive. That creativity thrives there. That our craftsmen and our artisans are suffering. And we are going to lose generations of their work if we do not find a way to get them exposed. That our students are suffering because 40% of our students this year could not pay their education because their families could not afford it. And we pride ourselves as Lebanese. So what we did is we added students who are doing a sustainability exhibition with all of the universities for free. And the craftsmen, Beirut, the youngest is 60 years old. The youngest craftsman, Amru Sittin Sine. This was a project, yeah. so yes, so much fear. I will do what I can. I will probably not get it right. What an attitude. Is what matters. It's incredible, Sarah, the attitude. I, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> Given the statistics you just rattled off, how do you feel about the new generation, your, your daughter's generation, Leno? What does that say about what's to come for this generation? Is there a path here that you can see that's hopeful or is it all gloom? No, uh, it is hopeful. First of all, you have to know that our generation, um, our kids who are educated, um, know what is happening. My daughter is studying law and she decided to go back to Beirut. She was accepted in the US and in London and Amazing. she made the cho choice to go back home. 
still I want to go back home the other thing is you have to know that in Lebanon education is so important and you have so many that are working on that so whether 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 it's the CMA CGM group for Dov Saadi who is in, investing in that life life is a big NGO that works with um the financial community the most you know important financial community in the world Lebanese uh, uh and they are they've paid millions to educate so education is very important everybody is um, investing in that and everybody is supporting that whether it's through a corporate social responsibility or putting them back into universities this has become our most important part because this is worse than august 4th for me because when you educate you liberate and it is the only way. And our youth were the ones who ran the Thawra. Fashalit, ma fashalit, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But our youth were the voices. So no, it's not all gloom. Lebanon, like many other countries, but Lebanon has a very special place in the cusp on this world. It has a, an energy. So you believe it can rebuild itself. It always has, it always will. The only thing we have to know that it may not happen in our lifetime. Yeah. And that is okay. And what we always want to see in you know, things happening hella. When you look at, at the pharaohs till now, you look at a timeline, our kids turn a page on a thousand years. But yet, she said hella. Yeah. Exactly. You don't plant that seed. We have to know that whatever we do, we may not see it, but we have an obligation to do it. And one last question I have for you, Mariana. Being here now in Abu Dhabi and being in the UAE, what do you see in store for you here? In terms of, do you have similar ambitious plans? I mean, you talked about uh, some of your clients here, but I mean, do you have like a big project you'd love to get your hands on? I don't know what it is. I would she. I have to say that I was somebody that I was always very vocal that I would not work in the UAE and I was very ignorant to that. Um, and when I learned how I've been treated here. And you changed your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what that means. The UAE. Yeah. There's a huge difference. And it really has taught me something. وانت مش لوحدك على فكرة يعني يعني موضوع إنه حد بيفكر من طريقة لبنانية مثلاً وين المنهج عربي happens to a lot of us. Yeah, I know. I know. Kazao, it's Disney World, but it's not. Yeah, it's a place that holds everybody with dignity. I remember when I arrived with Sophie and they were holding white flowers. ما بنسيها كل حياتي. Like this is not something you forget. It has been, it has taught me so much that It doesn't mean that And I say this again. Because yeah. I would not do this anywhere else. Because that's class. I think what's class? That is class. Um, so in Abu Dhabi, I found my home where I was born, funnily enough. And I had come never, full I've come full circle. It is my choice to be here. 
I would love to work with developers more. I would love to bring color and I would love to bring art and I would love to bring design and I would love to bring, you know, a lot of like the events we did for Jebel. Yeah. We had a thousand two hundred people show up in Abu Dhabi saying, please do more of this. For the community. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying no, no, and Louvre and, and I and that's not, but I would love no, to do things for the community. Projects. I think the community driven Events. Yes. That's what we need. Yes. In, in the whole UAE, whether it's Dubai or Abu Dhabi or elsewhere. Yes. And I'm because there are all these communities that have built here that made this their homes, including us. And you we need to weave the social fabric of these communities. Absolutely. I think that's upon us. I mean, this podcast is a testament to that. Yes. I'm Egyptian, you're Lebanese, and we're sitting here in Abu Dhabi talking about this for a reason, right? But we have common causes, common themes, and common interests and communities that want to be part of it. And a community that welcomes you to be part of Mazbut. it. You and you know? can build something here. And and you don't feel like a minority here. You, you don't, don't feel like a minority here. I don't feel like an immigrant. I am an immigrant. I left my country out of, you know, my situation. Yeah. You know, the only one. I don't I don't feel that here. So I truly care. I do not have a lot of projects. I have a few small projects, but I know things will come my way. Inshallah. And I know inshallah, and I know I will meet people and and but I sit with a lot of peace and and I know that there's something very, very beautiful about Abu Dhabi that we have to respect as well. And we have to align with and we have to give back to. So I hope I'll be able to do that. I really, I really do. Mariana, <laughs> what a story. Thank you. Honestly, it's pleasure. been, uh, Yanni, such a pleasure and eye-opening for me. And there's so much, even though I tried very hard to do all my homework, so much that I didn't know <laughs> that I've learned about today. So, inshallah, the beginning of a, of a friendship as well. So, Yanni, uh, if you are eyeing the I'm friendship, noting you, you have on it. That. You have I it am. for sure. You I have am. it for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you for thank having you. me. And thank you for this beautiful space, really. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Hesha Montasser and we're produced by Chirag Desai. You can connect with us on Instagram at the Lighthouse underscore podcast for behind the scenes videos and more. Also, listen to all our previous episodes in your podcast app or at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. We'll see you again in two weeks.